Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. Jack Weselek was born in East Germany in 1966. His grandfather was a member of the Red Orchestra a communist anti-Nazi resistance organisation in Germany during World War II. He later becomes chief of the signal service of the Volksmarine, the East German Navy, and in the 1980s an East German Army Signals Regiment is named after him. Jack's father was an actor, and we discuss how accurate the depiction of East German actors is in the film The Lives of Others. Aged six, his parents divorce, and Jack stays with his father and grandmother in Rostock, where he learns more about his grandfather's story. However, he's separated from his brother, who goes to live with his mother. Jack has an uncle who was captured escaping from East Germany and has been bought out by West Germany in the 1970s. At a clandestine meeting in Hungary, they hatch a daring plan for Jack to escape across the inner German border, the fortified frontier between East and West Germany. I'm delighted to welcome Jack Weselek to our Cold War conversation. So I was born in uh, Wittenberg, which is uh, Lutherstadt Wittenberg. That is where Martin Luther started the Reformation uh, more than 700 years ago. So I was I was born in a Christian hospital in Wittenberg, and that was in 1966. Um, so I did not spend too much time in Wittenberg. So the the vast majority of my upbringing was it was like different different small towns uh, like Gera for once, and then but the vast majority of my upbringing was in Rostock, uh, the port city of Rostock. What did your parents do? Did your parents' jobs mean that you were moving around? Is is that why you you were moving? Yes. So my parents were fairly young. So they were twenty three when I was born. My my dad was. Um, he was an actor. He had an engagement at the the theater in Wittenberg. He met my mother. My mother uh, was at this time becoming a doctor, and then. My dad moved around with his theater engagements. Like he went in the next engagement, I believe, was in Gera. Uh, so I have like 
early childhood memories of living in Gera, which was like a, a building which, which survived the war. I, don't, I remember we really hadn't, didn't have like a toilet in our, in our flat. It was like, like half staged down and you shared it with your neighbor. Um, so it was like all fairly dreary, but I do remember, uh, like they had a night park, nice park. I did, I do remember they had like a nice fountain and I do remember the theater, which was, which, which was like fantastic with like a crown chandelier um, and and obviously like early childhood memories of seeing my dad on stage. Yeah, and that was, yeah, that was my early childhood that I remember with like kindergarten. And then what happened was my parents divorced and I did move on my paternal side up to Rostock where my grandmother lived. And that's where then my main childhood took place or happened yeah having uh, a father who's an actor that immediately reminds me of the lives of others um now you know you you, you must have had some quite interesting parties i guess i'm i'm saying it at your house yeah so so uh it's it's quite a different type of people so to speak um i remember also like even from my early childhood like the like uh, new year's eve parties or um it's like an interesting like an interesting bunch of people which normally really don't fit the mold um but it's also a fairly closed community so throughout my life there were like lots and lots of people that we encountered um on a regular basis and 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 sometimes when i see like old east german movies or even some west german movies there once in a while pops up an actor which i remember not not necessarily but definitely by name and knowing to having encountered them i mean they would never remember me um or probably would remember my dad but um it's it's it, first of all, life takes place as, at a different time because they work at night or work like late in the evenings. I mean, they have like um, rehearsals during the day, um, but it's from it, it's normally a more free spirited bunch of people, I would say. Um, so and that was quite interesting, which doesn't mean that you know finding the the reference to the life of others that there wasn't any like first indoctrination or it, it, people weren't, you know, like, I wouldn't say spy on each other, but report on each other. So there were like always these kind of people that arranged with the system to some degree. Um, but yeah, um, watching this movie, it's like, it's like really a pleasure uh, because you don't see really like actors portrayed in like movies or the life about actors. And that was like an interesting part to it. Yes. It's a fascinating uh, movie in terms of that that study of how you try and weave a way of trying to have your artistic freedom whilst living in a state like like East Germany. Well, and there were like in in history like good references, right? If you think about like Wolf Biermann, um, who wasn't allowed to work and then moved to the West, and then and then people that basically supported him, like Manfred Krug. Um, as, as a good example, he was a, a super, super successful actor, singer in East Germany. And then he, he just moved away because he just couldn't, 
couldn't uh, show his artistic side. And he actually made um, like significant propaganda movies, uh, like Spur der Steine, for example. It's an excellent movie, but it's like fairly in in like the the GDR theme. Um, and then he felt he couldn't really do anything anymore what he was was doing and then moved to the west so so there were like this this movie uh, the life of others was it, it was true to some degree not necessarily all the details i mean it was like like fairly artistic but the but the story around it was was like certainly something that that was present yeah yeah i guess you know people having to compromise in order to progress within their careers for example yes and that was that was like um I, I actually spoke with my dad too i mean my dad was also a party member which was partially driven by his father um and but it was also to to enable him to do uh to travel outside uh east germany for for engagements that the theater had in in back then supportive countries or, or western countries um so, so that was then the necessity to to be able to do that. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you what his view of the regime was. It it sounds like what you're saying there is the party membership was to enable him to to work abroad rather than an affirmation in the belief in East Germany. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I grew up in like a very very political household. So both of my so my my grandpa uh, had two sons, which was my dad, who was the younger one, and then his other son was uh, my uncle, and he was a salesman for. He was basically selling East German ships to to um, to other countries. Uh, Germany had a fairly large shipbuilding uh, industry, and um, it, it wasn't it wasn't very profitable, but it brought in the the, the much needed um, foreign currency. And he was also a party member, but I don't remember ever that we that within the family and we spent a lot of time together that it was fairly political. There were jokes made about Honecker and East Germany, um, the typical German pastime to complain about things Uh, like all these these things happened. So it was not that I felt in any way, shape, or form to be guided into a special direction to blindly follow the doctrine of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was fairly apolitical in, in my upbringing from the family. We all watched Western TV. So it was, you know, and, and they all traveled to, to Western countries. My uncle as a salesman and my dad as, as an actor. So, so they brought stuff back or, you know, they saw things. So it wasn't it it wasn't that they really believed everything that Karl Eduard von Schnitzler in the Black Channel basically uh, told the people every every I think it was on a weekly basis or even nightly I have no idea. Um, I'm not sure I found anybody that believed what he said. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I mean, you you mentioned there your your grandfather. Your grandfather was in a privileged position because of what he'd done during World War Two. 
Yeah. So he was. He, I would. I would say from the reportings that he was a true believer, and that that comes basically from his family background and from uh, what he did. So his parents were were Stanislaus and Frieda Veselik, um, who had two. They had two sons, like Johann uh, and Walter, and they were early Communist Party members. Um, and it, I think in the twenties or thirties, they worked for the Communist International, the Comintern. Um, and they were educated and they had radio equipment. So they communicated with Soviet intelligence services during this time. And um, they also, in the 40s, provided shelter for German uh, communists that returned from, after being educated and trained in the Soviet Union, provided shelter to paratroopers that German paratroopers that came back into Germany. Um, so, and through that, they were uh, connected with the uh, resistance group, the Red Orchestra, which is a fairly, fairly uh, famous one. They, there was, as far as I know, or could research, uh, there was some information leaked by the the Russian intelligence service, and the Nazis started arresting Red Orchestra members. I think it was in the mid forties, like forty two, um, and with that, my grandpa's parents were swept up and arrested, and they were um, prosecuted by the infamous uh, Nazi prosecutor Manfred Röder, um, and they were executed in nineteen forty three. With that, my grandpa and his brother were also arrested. But my grandpa's brother, and I have absolutely no recollection or connection to him, I, it, it, and I don't think my dad had. Um, so my grandpa was convicted too. And I think there are different stories. It's either six years or a life sentence, and he spent his time in the Brandenburg prison. That is basically where he survived survived the war. There is reportedly some story about him that he joined within the prison a resistance group. Uh, so he worked as a forced laborer to as a workshop clerk to uh, the war production of the company Bosch, which is pretty known internationally. And there is some report that I that I saw that he prevented or helped prevent somebody being sent to a concentration camp because, because he attested that this person is like important for the war production. Um, but again, this is hearsay. So after the war, he joined the uh, East German Navy. He started setting up and building out the, the signals division of the East German Navy of the Nationale Volksmarine. I don't know much about that further on. I know what his latest rank was, which was Kapitän Suze, which is, I believe, as a captain. Um, he got like lots and lots of medals. Uh, I think the highest one was the Vaterländische Verdienstorden uh, in bronze, which um, there is like a huge list of people that that have this. I mean, Katharina Witt, for example, had two or three, but it's like it's like a it's it's like a uh, a medal that is given out for uh i think it had two prongs one was uh nazi resistance and the other one was like special services to the east german state and they also named a, a signals regiment 
after him, uh, which I believe happened sometime in the 80s, which, which was the NR18 Singles Regiment. So he passed away two years after I was born. So he passed away in, in, in uh, 68. Oh, yeah. And he also wrote three books. So he was kind of like a very talented person. One of those books was made into a movie, too. Wow. It it's still in like some DEFA repository. It was made in it was made after he died in in, in sixty nine, and um, the the three books that he wrote one was Riffe, which was made into this movie, which then was called the movie title was Hard am Wind or Close to the Wind. Um, I'll send you that and and you can put it into the show notes. There is also a description of like what the story is. Um, then his famous political one in Widerstreit, which means like in conflict. And then there was another one, which was Labor hinter Gittern. Um, I remember reading the books. I was not, I have to, I have to admit, I was not super, super uh, enticed. It, it, it was, it was like, it was very, very political, which, which obviously speaks to what, you know, like his conviction um, and probably like true conviction was because if you think about it, like in the 60s or in the 50s, 60s, that was the time where East Germany, after the Russians loosened a little bit their reparations, uh, started to build up a society which they believed really could be something better or something different. So, so I, can, I can see that, that he probably was, was very much into the system and believed to to what he did was 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 really a good thing. How much did the Wesselek name help potentially your father and your uncle's career? Because it, it sounds quite unusual for two members of the same family to be allowed to travel abroad. I I honestly I don't know. I would assume that it did play a role at least in the beginning. I would probably think maybe more with my uncle. You you said that when your parents divorce, you you go and stay with your grandmother. Now, your grandmother, I think, told you most of Johannes's story, and she was quite an important part of your life. Yes, she was. So, so given that that obviously my dad was always, um, you know, locked in with his engagements and moving uh, with the divorce of my parents. So basically what happened, my parents divorced. I have a younger brother who's one year younger than I am. And when they divorced, they basically divided the families and both moved to opposite parts of the country. So my mother moved far to the south and founded a new family. So her new husband um my brother and they had another child the same happened with my dad who eventually came to Rostock he married again my stepmother and they had also another child given that when the divorce happened I was I believe six or seven years old six years old probably and I was to bo- about to uh, join the school system so what basically happened was that, they said, okay, let's, we know that we want to live in Rostock close to my dad's family. And so I moved in with my grandma who lived like really in walking distance to the school that, that I joined. And I lived with her when I entered the school system at age of seven. And yes, I mean, she had like these display um, cases with all my 
grandfather's medals and books and, you know, ships like model ships that were, you know, given to him. And it, it was, it was certainly quite exciting, especially as a kid to put all those medals on my chest and then not being able to work, uh, uh, straight. Although they were all like aluminum or cheap, cheap metals, <laughs> so not too heavy, but, but it was, it was the, sh the sheer amount of, of, of stuff. Um, and, and was your grandmother, a a believer in real and existing socialism? So it was quite interesting. I think to some degree, yes, and to another degree, not. So, I mean, she obviously grew up during that time, but she also grew up during the Nazi time. And, you know, like sometimes um, it, it, there were some things in like what she said and how she... I, I believe she believed in certain things, but she was certainly not a true believer. Like, um, she watched West German TV. Uh, she, like, like her favorite shows were like the, the, the game show Dali Dali. I don't know if uh, at least Germans do remember this, which, which, which was like very famous in the, in the seventies, I believe, or like US shows, uh, like Dynasty. So, so these were like things that she, that she definitely watched. See, she was able to travel as a uh, retiree. You were able to travel to, to West Germany. And I think she had, she had some relative in West Berlin, which I, I don't really remember too much, but I know that she traveled. So she was certainly not a true believer, although she had some beliefs that, you know, were just beliefs she had like through her upbringing and and obviously also through the marriage to my uh to my grandfather this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in shopify's there to help you grow Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With your father being an actor, did you ever have any uh, want to be on stage at all? <laughs> that, is, that is a very, very good question. Um, yes. Well, yes and no. So um, obviously growing up in this with with actors and as i said before these are like very very interesting people interesting in 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 terms of like being open being funny you know like living a different lifestyle so to speak so when i was i believe 12 or 13 or 11 12 somewhere around that 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 age to early teenager i i actually did go on stage so there were two two plays that I played in. One was, it was like a fairly big one. It was The Life of Galileo, which was like Bert Brecht. And, and it was like really a three people play. And it was fairly long. And I played the, the, the kid Andrea, which was lots and lots of text to, to memorize. And, and, but I was like all local. What was more interesting was a, a fairly big play, which was The Day of the Commune, also Bertbrecht, where I played one of the one of the kids, and that was a very very political play 
in Rostock and, and fairly famous. Like there were two things or two side stories to this. One was through this play, I actually met Egon Krenz, who was the head of the uh, Freie Deutsche Jugend at that point, because he attended one of those plays. And then afterwards, there was a reception. So I can say I really actually met this guy, although, you know, it, it was just like saying hello and shaking hands. And the other one was that I was almost, almost traveling on an engagement to West Germany, um, because they also did uh, guest engagements in West Germany. I think I know the answer, but what what were their reasons for not allowing you to travel to West Germany? What excuse did they give you? <laughs> yeah. So it was it, it was actually funny. So so this was by invitation from like some uh, east leaning um, organizations, and the uh, the engagement was in Augsburg, and they told me that yeah, it's like they cannot guarantee for the for the safety of of the children. Uh, there was another kid. And that was that was the reason that they basically said because of safety and in Augsburg there were like lots of neo Nazis and they couldn't they couldn't uh, guarantee the safety and that was the reason that I, I couldn't go. Uh, I mean, obviously there was the hope that I can go with my dad, but it was I mean, like in, in hindsight, it was it was absolutely clear and 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 logical that they wouldn't let leave the the, the father and the son at the same time. So did they still use a kid in the? play when they went to Augsburg. Yeah, they, they they did. And what I don't know is if these were like other East German kids that traveled or um if they used like local kids that because the role was not I mean like not that you really had a lot of a lot of text that was more like you go there, you go there and you go there. Um I asked my dad, but and he couldn't remember either. So it 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 was but but anyway, like the story was obviously there was like this big hope, like yeah, maybe I can travel. This would be so super cool. And then like uh, no, no, that obviously doesn't doesn't work. I'd be intrigued if they did actually take an East German kid with them, and why he was uh, going to be immune to neo Nazis in Augsburg, and and you weren't. But we'll never know. We will <laughs> never know. Did you? Stay in contact with your brother after the uh, divorce. Were you in reasonably regular contact with him? Yeah. So when they basically divided up and and set up new families, um, it, it was kind of like discouraged to to stay in contact, which is very very sad. So I did not have too much contact. I mean, like initially there was the. Um, you know, like the, the, the letter or like the, the, the Christmas package and, you know, sometimes early on vacations with my mother, but that all stopped. And it was, it was kind of like encouraged by both new families because they were, um, you know, they, they, it, it was a little bit about appearance too. Um, so, you know, like my mother was a doctor, her new husband was a doctor, they moved to this small village and, and obviously, you know, like the, the story that a mother gives away her kid, um, is not always a good story. So, so they obviously had, um, uh, some kind of like interest in, in, in not, acknowledging or or like fostering that yeah. relationship and th the same went 
to on my father's side, right? It was it was the same thing. So he had a new wife. Uh, my stepmother uh, had also a daughter, so I had a step stepsister. There was always the situation that you know, all of a sudden, you are a different family. One gets nice presents, the other one doesn't. Um, it it creates it creates some family issues, um, and. So the contact was like totally lost until I believe I was like 16 um, when my my maternal grandmother reestablished the contact. And, and obviously then I was at the age, my brother was at an age um, where, you know, nobody could actually forbid us or keep us from, from reestablishing contact. And this, and at that time, I just I just went to see them and I reestablished contact with my brother, uh, with my half brother on my mother's side, with my mother. And then what also happened at this time? Her younger brother, uh, my uncle, was there, and I reestablished contact with him, and he is playing a major role in the later part of my of my youth or life. That that must have been tough to be separated from your brother because only a year difference yes. there. Yeah, it was, it, it, it certainly was, it certainly was tough, but then, you know, it's like also life, life gets in the way. So while you are separated, it's probably not that big of an issue, but once we reestablished contact, um, it was, it was like a totally different story. Then that couldn't be taken away anymore. Um, so my brother and I, we, we got along very well. We, you know, talked about all kinds of things. Um, and it, 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 it culminated and later on that we, we also went on vacation together, uh, to Hungary, which was like, uh, later on when I was like 19 after school. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, again, it was probably not too much missing somebody when you don't, when you last saw this person as a child, as like a very young child, um, and then later on, it, it, it couldn't be prohibited or you know restricted anymore after uh, after we reestablished contact. Yes. How was your your schooling? Did you enjoy school? Actually, I did. So so my school, I had like lots of so so since I lived with my grandmother and and was not really um, in this typical family bind. I had like lots of leeway with my grandmother. This was what grandmothers do to their to their to their um, grandchilds. So so I had like re a really really strong friendship with people in school, and I'm actually still in contact with them today. Um, so the school was time was actually really nice. I mean, there was like the 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 political part of it, which everybody went through, um, but we did also lots of things that were you know, like outside school. So first of all, I have to say the the school system, aside from, you know, like these Staatsbürgerkunde or political things, um, what I, we had great teachers and we had teachers that were um, not really political. When I think about uh, like physics or chemistry, we had like really, really great teachers there were which were really focused on the subject matter and not the political part 
I mean, I know the assistant headmaster, she was like uh, a teacher at a very young age. I mean, I know she always worked on me uh, and many others to get her quota to um, get people to uh, commit to a longer army service than, than the 18 months that were required. But we had like things, for example, outside school activities were, was, were, you know, like photography and where you develop your own photos. And uh, I knew somebody who had a Photoshop who was retiring. So I, I was able to get my hands on, on photo paper. Uh, somebody else did um, get some, some chemicals to develop stuff. So we, so we experimented with, with photos or we did like one, one of my friends had um, West German or Western records. So we did, we did go into like a school room in the evening, like blacked out everything. And then we were listening listening to a record of uh, Jean-Michel Jarre Oxygen. And, you know, like these, these kind of things were absolutely cool. Um, and these are the memories that stick. I don't really have bad memories from school. And I was, I was like fairly good at it. Um, so I, I was like always in the, in the upper, I would say like 20%. The only thing I was really bad at was sports. And I dreaded the, uh, the, the, the sports part of the school, which was like, I think the annual or twice a year where you had to run the 10,000 meters, which, which was for me, like it was always a nightmare. And that obviously was also something where I was, you know, not thinking positively about joining the army. Um, because obviously like the physical part was, was like a major, was like a major part of it. Yeah. But I remember really from school, at least that part of the school, um, my friendships and like the people, like the folks I grew up with. And we had a fairly good, you know, childhood in that, in that regard, I have to say. Yeah. You, you went on to secondary school. Yeah. Extended secondary school. Yeah. Yeah. Is that called Arbiter? Yes. Yeah. So there were, there were, if you wanted to go into like an, the academic route, that was the next step to go there. Um, you needed to have like certain grades and there were basically two ways, which was to go to the extended secondary school, which means you, you got your RB2 or A levels, uh, which enabled you to go on to university or you do, you go to like a technical school where you learn a profession first and then you do your, your abitur or A levels on the side, which just took longer. And so I opted in for going to the extended secondary school, which was the uh, Erste EOS or first extended secondary school, uh, Ernst Thielmann in Rostock, which which was probably like I think there were two, and that was like the like one of the main ones. Now there, my school story was like different because it was it was first of all it was only for two years, so you don't build the same relationships, and there were a lot of kids from like feeder schools, uh, and I say feeder schools, there was a school right attached to this where, like, I know a lot of them where the parents were in the Stasi, high Stasi officers, or were had, like, party functions uh, where these kids went into the school. There were a lot of focus on political science and on Russian language. 
and they fed into this as well. So it was kind of like a mixture of the people that came from that school and people that came from, I would say, like normal schools or the typical school. How, how much military training w was done with you at school? Because they, they don't just wait until you're conscripted into the MVA. There's still some sort of paramilitary training going on. Yeah. So, so there was always in the, in the regular school system, there were like events where people could join the, the Gesellschaft für Sport und Technik, the GST. Um, in the extended secondary school, it is part of your education that you have to go to a camp for, I believe it was two weeks. And if you didn't do it, it, you wouldn't get your Abitur. So it was like really mandatory. We went to a camp, which was in Prero, which is like really by the coast. Um, and you learn all kinds of things like weapons handling. They had these small caliber guns in the, in the which looked like AK-47s. You did learn like this close combat tactics capture the flag. It was like lots of stuff around uh, physical education where you had to run. And one part of it was also since Rostock, the entire coastline was actually border area officially, and there were restrictions on the beach. I think it was the restrictions were from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. where people were restricted to go to the beach. And part of that was for us to secure the border, the northern border, during that time frame, in our in our training or in our uh, education, so to speak. Just so I understand this, so as part of your schooling, you were almost acting like border guards on this beach. What 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 were your instructions if if you saw somebody? I don't know, running out the dunes with a dinghy. So, yeah, it was, it, I mean, we were, obviously we were unarmed. Um, we did kind of like arm us with, um, with like sticks that we found. So, so what basically the task was to, uh, first of all, to, to go through like the, the, the bushes and see if somebody, um, did hide like an air mattress or, um, any kind of like floating device that, you know, would then have to be reported. And the other part was then at night to basically patrol the beach. And then if something happened, if you saw somebody to to escape or to try to get into the water to raise alarm. And there were always these watchtowers uh, in, in fairly visible distance. The beach was also patrolled by really armed guards uh, at night. So we were kind of like always in groups of two. And we just had to patrol up and down the beach. And like the, the person that I was paired with, we, we were like, really, I mean, it, it was it was kind of like interesting. You had like certainly adrenaline, like what happens? We discussed what would happen if somebody would run. And we didn't really know the answer. It's like, you know, what, what do you do? Like, do you... Do you let him go and pretend you didn't see them? Do you raise alarm? It, I, I'm I'm glad I wasn't in that situation. That that anything happened. Um, it, it, it was. I mean, if you think about it, it's like it's like two kids at the age of like eighteen. Um, just you know, what do you do? It's it, it it was it was like it was conflicting, and you know, I'm glad nothing happened, but. Um, it was it was like a quite quite interesting experience that's for sure 
I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, did you have any relatives that lived in the West? My mother had two siblings, an older sister and a younger brother. So her older sister left East Germany before the war came down. Uh, she moved to West Germany. I think she was, she was, I think 14 or 15. So my and my and my mother's younger brother, my uncle, he tried to escape in the 70s. Um, and he was caught and went to uh, a prison. So was he how long was he held in in prison for? So he was, um, I think, the typical conviction for attempted escape um, was I believe three and a half years, um, but he was uh, bought free by the West German government earlier. I don't know exactly how much earlier. I think he served probably like half his prison sentence before he was then bought free by uh, by the West German government and 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 moved to West Germany. Um, he was, I believe, be able to come back to East Germany as a West German citizen after an amnesty. And I think that was in the early 80s or something like this, where, um, because normally you were restricted, right? You were persona non grata um, for, for quite some time. But I believe there was an amnesty and then he was able to reestablish, you know, not just by letter relationships with his sister and, and uh, so my mother and, and that part of the family, yeah. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Right, and I, I believe you went on a holiday with them to Hungary, where there's uh, an interesting conversation with your uncle. Yeah, it was so. So basically, what happened when I uh, when I reestablished contact with my brother and my mother, that was when my uncle was there with his with his wife, uh, my aunt, which I hold dear in my life, and we really got into great conversations and we built up like a really, really nice relationship. It was, it was like really super pleasant. And I had even with my brother, like sometimes conversations when we said, obviously we, we knew like from his and his success in West Germany and my aunt's success in, 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 in West Germany, like a little bit about that. We, we kind of like played like mind games. How would it be to, you know, to try to, you know, swim to Denmark, which was like the obvious choice when you lived in Rostock, um, or to escape or so uh, my brother and I had these, these, we sometimes talked about it. And my uncle, he was probably like a little bit aware of this uh, as well. So 
basically what happened after my abitur and before I was about to be conscripted to conscripted to the army, I went on a vacation with my with my brother and we went to Hungary, um, which was probably like the most open country of the Eastern Bloc at that time. Given that I had these conversations with him and with my uncle, uh, as a surprise, they joined us in Hungary. Um, and it was like totally, totally a surprise, was super cool. Obviously, you could drive around in a West German car and you met all of them. And they took me aside and they came to Hungary for the main reason that they thought I would attempt an escape via Hungary into Austria. And they just wanted to say, don't do it. It's not, it's not working well. It's, um, you know, it's not because they knew I had a desire to leave East Germany just because of, of, of all the things I experienced. And it was not, I have to say it was not political uh, oppression on my part. Uh, it was about, you know, freedom, about like doing something different, about seeing the world, about freedom for me, personal freedom. So anyway, we, we were talking about it. They took me aside. So making sure that my brother doesn't hear anything about it. And then we discussed whether or not there were any options. And they said the, the idea at that point was born to help me to escape to West Germany um, before I was drawn to the army. They didn't really know what to do, but they said, like, let's see if there are still some contacts that my uncle had from his escape, if they could find somebody to, um, you know, just help organizing something like this. And he also prepared me for, you know, what would happen if I was caught. So he said, be prepared. This is pr how prison life is. Um, and we saw a lot of this in, in, in for example, uh, The Life of Others or like any other movies. It's like this um, sleep deprivation. It's uh, about these uh, interrogations, about saying all the same. Um, again, The Life of Others was probably like a very, very good uh, depiction of that. And he also said, if we become aware, if something happens, um, we will immediately engage Wolfgang Vogel and then try to try to help, um, you know, to to make this or to deal with this situation. But you have to be willing to to you have to be prepared for these situations or for this outcome. And the worst case could be that you lose your life. So so these are like things you need to be prepared. Now at that point, they didn't know how they would would pull this off, but. Just in case they they took a photo of me, they uh, we we kind of like agreed on on like a password, and we agreed on um, basically what would happen is um, they said we will we will send you a postcard with um, you know some kind of like time and date, and that's when you know this 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 basically is is going to happen. And obviously, as you can imagine, when I came back from Hungary, um, I went to the mailbox like first thing in the morning, like every every single day, and the postcard never came. The postcard never came. 
the postcard never came because all of a sudden I get a call from uh, my mother who said, hey, we are going to be in East Berlin and your aunt from West Germany is going to be there. And since you're about to join the army, why don't you come and we spend a day or two in East Berlin? So excitedly I went and that's when my aunt basically said, so she pulled me aside. We have a way. So she gave me a couple of presents, which was West German clothing. Um, and uh, one of these, like, like a suitcase. And she explained that to my brother that he didn't get all these presents. Yeah, because we are not going to see Jack for a long time because you know, he's joining the army and there is obviously no contact and no ability. Um, so he's getting a little bit more presence than, um, than you are getting. And she basically, so basically what happened, we, we, uh, stuck with the password. She said, um, you will get a call one morning where there is randomly a time and a date mentioned you will be at that time on that date at on the Alexanderplatz, the, the, the world clock, and somebody will approach you. Um, the plan is for you to um, leave the country with a fake diplomatic passport via Czechoslovakia. And that's the reason why I got all these Western looking clothing. So that obviously, you know, like in, in, in typical East German, typical East German clothing, you wouldn't really pass as a Western diplomat. Um, so, and that was, that was the plan. Um, and yeah, that's how it all kicked off. So you, you must've jumped every time the phone rang. <laughs> yes. So, um, I was not living at that time with my parent in, parents in the same apartment. There was like a little room in the attic in this multifamily home. And that's where I lived. So, but obviously like for family meals and whatever, I just walked down the stairs and, uh, and joined them. And like every morning, uh, I, you know, was frantically waiting by the phone. So we had a phone since my stepmother was a doctor. So one of the privileged, part of the privileged uh, uh, elite that had a phone. Um, so at that time, I worked at the University of Rostock and made, um, and was like, kind of like an apprentice. I worked in a, in, in a small uh, research facility where they built something that I don't even recall what it was to count cells in fluids. Um, and one of the things was, it was like super, super interesting. And uh, they always said, you can't tell anyone about this. And I'm like, why? It's like, yeah, it's like technology transfer. And I'm like, are you aware of like the West people to, to, to get hold of this technology? And they said, no, 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 we are not afraid of the West. We are afraid of the East that they would steal this information. So anyway, I was working there and, um, uh, so I went to kind of like work uh, every morning. And one morning, um, I was supposed to take the train to Bad Doberan um, and to pick up some films. I don't know. I don't know what was on those films. It was something for the University of Photos Project. So I was sitting in the bathroom and the phone rang. 
And before I could get up, my stepmother picked up the phone and nobody answered. And she's like, hey, hello, what is this? And then she hung up. And for me, the world broke apart. So what am I going to do? I missed the call. Uh, yet I had to go. So I left, did my trip to Bad Doberan, came back and spent the entire afternoon after I was back in, in uh, the apartment. And then at like four o'clock, the phone rang again. And it was when my aunt's West German aunt's brother was on the phone and he was telling me, yeah, and we're having a party and blah, blah, blah. And he gave me, and we have this on the 21st and, you know, at like starting at two or, you know, something like this, something meaningless. And that's when I knew it was kicking off. And obviously for me, this, this was like a different chapter in my life started. Yeah. And as it happened, it was like the day after my dad's birthday. So how do you start preparing for this? So my dad had a birthday party. I said basically good night. I went up to my room uh, outside of their apartment. I, I basically cleaned everything up. So I left all the keys. I left him a letter um, about, you know, this is, this is like um, what to do <laughs> with, with my stuff. Um, I, I just wanted to have a clean exit as possible. Um, so I wanted to have to return the keys returned to the university, the people I worked with. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that there was nothing incriminating or nobody had any disadvantage as much as it was in my power. I also knew from my uncle when to when I crossed the border not to have any East German currency on me because that would have tagged on a sentence. Uh, because it was illegal to export East German currency. So what I had was um, I got my allowance from my dad. Um, since I didn't really have like a checking account, you got like school money. Um, I had, and, and he gave me a check. So I had a check and a, and a check which I could cash, but a check is not currency. So from that point of view, I covered my base to just be prepared in case this doesn't work out. When you were writing that letter to your father, you, you must have been thinking that I, I might not see him again. Yes. That was the that was basically that was basically what what it was. So so I I basically um it it was a kind of like farewell letter, but it was mostly where I didn't really want to give a lot of things away, but I wanted to make sure that um, I, I just wanted to make sure to reiterate that nobody knew anything and that there are no people, um, that, that there is as little impact as possible to anyone that, you know, was associated with me, whether it was like my friends, whether it was the people I worked with, um, and that my affairs were sorted so that people didn't have to. Um, search for things or um i mean it was really just an idea i, I you know I, yeah that, that was that was basically like it um then i dressed up and i took like a four o'clock train to east berlin from rostock which is like about a three hours three hours drive uh or ride 
which was interesting. I mean, I was like sitting there and there were people sitting across me and reading the Neues Deutschland. And uh, I was like it, it, in a totally, I don't know. It's like, it was like a very, very strange feeling uh, because I always was, uh, I obviously was clothed in, in like really cool clothing and I didn't resemble anything East German yet. I, I rode in a like second class train to, to, to East Berlin. So, that all worked out. I went at the time that was set, which was, I believe it was 2 p.m., and stood at the, the world clock in East Berlin. And I didn't really have to wait that long. I think it was like shortly after where the, a woman, I still remember she is she is blonde. Um, she approached me with like the password we said. And then she said, like, hey, come on, let's go to this cafe. In, and, and let's let's talk about things. Um, and I believe I saw there was a movie the other day where I saw people sitting in this cafe where you could oversee Alexanderplatz, and 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 then it kind of like dawned on me that was that was that was probably the place that I went to. Um, but she was super super nice, and she took a lot of the edge away. Where she said, "Hey, everything is going to be fine." And look over there, there are people getting married. This normally means luck, and uh, uh, you know everything will be cool. But what you will have to do, you will have to now go from here to Potsdam. Um, and then you go to the Interhotel in Potsdam and then somebody else will approach you. And I'm like, ah, like what is what is happening and 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 why why doesn't this start start now? Um but anyway, so I thought, okay, so what they want to make sure is like that I probably don't have a tail. And in hindsight, it all it, it totally makes sense, right? They didn't know me. They didn't really know my my uncle and my aunt, although they put this in motion. Um so, so everybody was told a slightly different story to just not expose the people to um, to to more risk than they already took. Um, so I traveled from East Berlin by train to Potsdam, and I, I did, um, you know, like everything I remembered from from any. Um, crime shows like Polizeiruf 110 or like the Tatort or, you know, like any of those things where you think like, okay, so so start tying your shoelaces very quickly all of a sudden and look back or stand in front of, um, you know, like this place to see if there's any mirroring and you see people or you recognize people. And and I didn't, I didn't recognize anyone or anything. Little did I know, obviously, that, that probably this organization that helped me, that they were you know, like making sure that nobody was following me, yet they were following me. So uh, for me, it was absolutely, uh, I didn't recognize anything. When the woman comes up to you in Alexanderplatz, can you remember what the password was? Yes, the password was, and that was the password we did, we did uh, set in Hungary, back in Hungary, and it was ASI, which has nothing to do with, with uh, a social or anything. It was the name of my West German aunt's dog at this time. That was, that was the, that was the password. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So did you have to give her a password and she gave you a password? Um, actually, I thought about it. Um, I believe there was some and it was about the weather, but I don't really remember what it was. There, there was, there was a, there was a, there was a phrase back. 
it, there was one, but I, but I don't don't remember what it was. It sounds like a classic password. I mean, I always, you know, you imagine these spy movies where they meet up and and the exchanges. It's snowing in Moscow, and the answer is, but it, it's colder in Bratislava, <laughs> something like that. So, something, something, something like this. Yeah, yeah. It, it it certainly was. It was like something super generic yet specific. Brilliant, brilliant. I love those sort of details, Jack. So just wanted to, uh, yeah. um, dig yeah. into that. So uh, you get the train to uh, Potsdam. Tell us about what happens at the Inter Hotel there. So. I was waiting at the Inter Hotel in the lobby, and then I was approached by um, by a guy. I only rem- he introduced uh, himself. They only introduced themselves by first names, um, and he basically then told me what's going to happen next, and uh, what's going to uh, what was happening next was like totally different from what my my family in West Germany and I was told. So it was not an escape with a uh, fake passport. Uh, via Czechoslovakia, it was directly uh, in a diplomatic car via the the border crossing in Helmstedt. So what happened was he said, okay, uh, he had like a big seven series BMW or yeah, I think it was. And he said, so what, what is going to happen is we will drive onto the transit road between Berlin and Hanover. Then at one point, there will be a car behind us. We will stop at a rest station, and then you will swap cars and will go into the trunk of that other car, and that car will take you over into West Germany. So that's what he told me. We then took like a scenic drive through the countryside, uh, and obviously it made obviously sense. He wanted to see if he had a tail. Um, and then went on to the transit road, filed into traffic. And I believe it was seven o'clock in the evening. And it was at the right time. That was when somebody flashed the lights behind him. Um, and that was the car that um, was taking me over the border. So we exited at one of the rest stations and went to like a far darker part of the parking area. I went in with the guy that I met in Potsdam into the um, the rest stop and then walked out with the other person, went to that car, and then he popped the trunk and I went into the trunk. He said, be prepared. It's probably going to be t- taking about two hours or so. You have to be absolutely quiet. And then we'll take it from there. And uh, yeah, that was what what was happening. Hello, I'm Craig Donald from Aberdeen, and I support Cold War Conversations with a monthly donation because it marries interesting historical content with fantastic storytelling. Ian is a great gift as an interviewer. He knows his subject so that the conversations are meaningful, but he also allows guests to tell their own story. Cold War Conversations is part of my weekly routine, and I would urge you to make it part of yours. Want to be like Craig and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War? As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free. You'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, 
and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more or follow the link in the episode information. What was your your feeling at that moment? What were you thinking? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, obviously it was on one hand exciting and I knew it was, there, there was absolutely no way back. So, I mean, I mean, obviously I thought what could happen, the worst case would be that the trunk pops and you look into the muzzle of, of, of a firearm. But I kind of like put this away. It was more the, the adrenaline that kicked in at that point and and something was about to happen and it it was the culmination of like lots and lots of events that happened before to to explain my like how i felt through the entire thing it's always i i, I say it's like a you know having a, like a tough exam um where you are totally nervous before the exam you get basically the questions. You're relatively cool working through those. Um, you hand it in and then you are nervous again. Like, have you passed or have you not passed? And that was like the cycle that I went through. So I was like super nervous before um, the events. Once this happened, I was like relatively cool. And then I started shaking again after after I exited the trunk on the west western side. Okay, let, let's just ho- hold yeah. it there there for <laughs> yeah. the moment. Um, what country was the diplomatic plates for on the car? I believe I believe it were these were either West German Berlin plates, so it was definitely a German diplomat. It was probably not a super. I, I don't know. I don't know how ranking the diplomat was. It was an an Audi 100 at that time, uh, so it was fairly. It, it was like relatively. I, I mean, it was not a luxurious car. It was like a you know, fairly typical. But potentially, was a West German diplomat earning a bit on the side with the um, escape organizers. Yeah. Yes, that's what I assume. Yeah. So the cars going down the motorway, you know, you can feel the speed. You can you can feel the bumps like on these uh, these uh, these these plates. The bumps the- where the separate sections of tarmac are yeah. on uh, East German motorways. I've heard yeah. that a number of times from interviewees. Um, and then the car slows down. Yeah. So so it was it was it was it was obviously it was obviously super super. It was like dark. Although you could see like a little bit of reflection from the brake lights and from the events. Um, so the car slowed down. Um, I saw light coming in a little bit through the events. Um, I heard voices and it was like inching forward. I don't really, I heard voices, but I didn't hear what they were saying if you if if you know what i mean it was like just something which i blocked out so i was like super super quiet um and it was yeah again inching forward they prepared me for two hours i i have no feeling for what the time was so i totally lost my time feeling um and yeah then after a while the car accelerated again and Again, without having a measure of time, then at one point uh, the trunk popped and and I was let out. And what is actually interesting, I just watched a show which was which is on I think 
it's on Apple TV, or it was somewhere about the um, industrialist or CEO uh, Gosen, who escaped from Japan uh, because he was accused of um, by Nissan, Nissan and Renault for um, for embezzlement. So, and he escaped in a. Um, it was like a like a, like a trunk for a musical instrument. And when they showed or reenacted this scene where he was like lying in there, going through airport security, having these air vents, um, and seeing just light coming through and hearing voices, that was exactly that transported me back into this situation. So it's like very, very airy. Um, uh, yeah. But it was obviously a major, major relief once once I got out on the other side. It, I, I just cannot describe it and uh, because it was like so unique. So the, the, the guy who's driving the car stops the car, the boot opens, the fresh air of freedom from West Germany wafts in. It smelled differently. It certainly did. <laughs> no uh, brown coal. Yes. Um, or less brown coal. I mean, you, you must be just overjoyed at yeah. that point. Or are you a little bit sad at what you've left behind as well? Not at that point. Um, because when I made the decision, I kind of like mentally did make the separation and i knew that there was that i was leaving things behind and was leaving family behind and also was leaving friends behind um at that point i didn't think it did set in it was more the excitement for uh having made it and for something new to come and there was still like lots of um stuff so so after i got out we went into like one of these rest stop restaurants and um you know it's like when i had my my first beer and i still remember it was like um like a salami sandwich uh, because i really hadn't eaten anything all day um so i was like talking to this guy and he's like hey congratulations and then another person came to the table um and i still remember he had like uh white shoes um he had like a, i believe it was also like a white suit um he took my beer um and i'm like who's this and and it turned out that was like the mastermind behind it who then welcomed me and then he took me to um we drove to hanover and that's where he handed me over to my relatives that were waiting there yeah to take me home to my new home, and and they knew that you were out before you arrived. With yes, them. yes, yeah. So so they they left their home. Um, so they were basically told that it all worked out, and then they uh, they drove from where they lived to to Hanover, and it was it was like some kind of hotel, like a Hilton or or something, where um, where we then met. Yeah, and then what what do you do in order to then register yourself as a as a refugee from the the gdr then there must be some sort of protocol like going to the local police station or something yeah so my relatives they took me to where they lived which is in which is in remscheid in uh in north rhine-westphalia um and that was normally not a place where um refugees from east germany or like refugees from you know like 
Hungary or the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia, sorry, uh, back then arrived in Bavaria. So it was like really deep in in the west of West Germany. Um, so the next morning I went to the local police station, which was like really just basically like a few minutes on foot from 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 where they lived and and I then lived. Um, and I went to the to to the police officer on on duty, and I basically showed them my my East German Personalausweis, my East German ID card in blue, and I said I'm I'm here from East Germany, and I wanted to register. And uh, I could see his face like he did not know what to do with me, and he called uh, his officer in charge, and that guy called then his officer in charge and then they said you know we have to sort it out why don't you come back tomorrow and um yeah that's that's basically what happened and i walked out again and the next day i showed up and uh and they basically then informed themselves what to do with me and they said okay so the next step for you is you have to go to this um notaufnahmelager like this this camp in gießen where basically all the, uh, the 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 East Germans or refugees were registered, and where um, you had a health check, and where it was started uh, to to put in motion to to get your ID papers and your school diplomas registered, and and all of these things. What was very interesting about that one? I was at that time the only one who actually came via a direct escape from. Uh, East Germany to West Germany, the vast majority of pe- of the people in the camp were people that were allowed to leave East Germany legally, because that was the time where you were um, the major way to leave East Germany was either via Czechoslovakia, Hungary, or via these Ausreiseanträge, so these 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 basically um, permissions to leave. So I was the only one who didn't, who had like an original German ID, um, which kind of like did speed up the process to go through all of those because, you know, I was kind of like a unique, a unique person amongst all of them at that time. At Gießen, did they want to just check out and make sure you weren't a uh, Stasi agent nipping over the border? I think it was it was part of it. The vast, like I think, the main purpose was to get to get to start your identity, to get to start to get new papers, to get to start, um, you know, like what's your health situation, and to 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 get to start getting your you know papers, uh, education, and all of this stuff in order, and able to to enable your new life, um, but. I, w- I also was 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 ushered through several rooms with uh, I I believe were um, intelligence services which did ask me uh, about my background uh, when I told them I didn't um, serve in the army obviously there was was less interest but they also wanted to know like how I escaped and I was asked by uh, my escape helper to not reveal any information. Um, and that's what I did. I basically said, hey, you know, I I don't want to tell you, or I was asked to not to tell you. And I mean, they I think they pictured it together that it was a uh, professional and commercial operation. Um, and that was basically it. So they didn't didn't really push too hard. And it was not really of, of that much of interest. There wasn't really that much that I could provide that couldn't other people provide. 
or in a better way from from value for them what's the next time that you have contact with your family in east germany so i did i did obviously write so so uh, the night or the day after i escaped i did call my dad uh he picked up and i told him hey i'm not coming home uh and i'm not coming home anymore and he's like why why what happened what what's what's the situation and i'm like i'm not in east germany anymore um and it there was silence and then he hung up the phone so that was the first contact with him again he then did report this to the east german police uh the volkspolizei and that's where then obviously everything got into motion on their part to try to identify um how i escaped and what happened because nobody had any idea uh and it came as a total surprise the first physical connection back with my dad aside from letters was in prague a few years later i believe it was in 88 before the wall came down where we met on in in prague um so that was the first time that i saw him like in in real life again and how how was that meeting yeah it was very emotional um it was uh yeah i mean you know it was not for long well it was actually i think we spent almost like a week together um so it was in prague where we met we spent some time there and he had a colleague uh in the czech republic who had like a holiday home somewhere in somewhere outside and we spent some time there so we talked about um a lot of things yeah it was it was like it was like super super emotional um i obviously i did not tell him any details of how i escaped and it was not really the purpose of this meeting anyway he didn't really try to find out um it, it was just like it was just like a nice time being together and spend some time but the the stasi work a bit on your grandmother though yes so so when um when my dad kicked it off they obviously tried to find out what happened um and l- lots of this activity i saw in my in my stasi file i mean obviously like all the letters that were written back and forth were you know read and analyzed um since my grandma could travel uh she did visit me in west germany i believe it was probably like a year later or so um and it, it was it was really funny she 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 always tried oh tell me tell me how you how you escaped um and and it was obviously that she was prompted with certain questions um which was she was she was not a good actor contrary to my dad so it was fairly obvious what what uh, what what her intention was but she didn't really try too hard so so i didn't i didn't really give give anything away um to her so you got the impression she was just going through the motions she was going she was going through the motions yeah I mean I I I knew I wasn't giving her anything and I mean like at one point she just gave up and you know it worked um as I could see in my in my file later on presumably there was some impact on your father and your stepmother uh, yes. because of your your escape yes so 
the the best thing that I could do for my family in, 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 in that I left back in East Germany, um, which was also my brother and my mother, um, was that nobody had an idea. Nobody knew. It was absolutely kept under wraps. Uh, so that means they were obviously all interrogated um, and they didn't know anything. And if you don't know anything, you can't say anything. So, or you can speak the truth. So um, that was my only protection that I could give them. What happened um, to my dad was obviously he was taken off the, um, he, he was stripped of the ability to travel. Um, I believe my uncle as well, but that was, I, I'm not sure if he was still traveling in his function. Um, my stepmother, she was, she probably had the most impact because she was a doctor and she was about to, if I remember it correctly, she was about to go on to the German, the East German cruise ship, the Völkerfreundschaft that they had as a doctor and travel there. So that was definitely under discussion. And obviously that was right taken off the table. Um, at that point. So they had, they had obviously an impact on their professional careers. Um, but they, yeah, th that was basically the extent to it. You, you mentioned your Stasi file a moment ago. Was there any other revelations in there as to how they were trying to find out how you'd escaped or, or anything else? Yeah, in the end, they collected like some 600 pages on me. Um, the uh, What was most interesting for me was like, first of all, what they all did to try to find out how I escaped. And like one of the things was they had a registry of like all uh, car with like Western car that traveled any of the transit roads. On this day, they also had a lot of information on the vacation that I did. I had with my brother in Hungary, so they knew about obviously my uncle and my aunt. They also tracked down like a guy that we had like a casual conversation with from West Berlin um, because they thought he might have something to do with it. Um, I had what was super interesting. There were like psychological profiles done on me from uh, people that I went to school with in the extended secondary school, which wasn't really surprising because as I said before, there, there were like lots of children of, of, of Stasi uh, people that actually volunteered to go to, to do their, their uh, military service with the Staatssicherheit. Um, so they obviously put in an effort to try to, uh, psychologically analyze uh, me. Um, there were also like every letter that I sent or that was sent to me was was in copy there with like some intonations where they tried to psychologically identify like why did I go or was there any was there any possibility to bring me back or you know these kind of things and there were references to my dad's file so on on they were largely redacted. But there were certainly certainly references to his travels um, and, you know, like who 
who reported on him what he did and um these kind of things so it was it was like all around uh like a very interesting read how did your family fare after the uh the wall opened as far as work my dad lost his job when the uh when there was no funding for the Volkstheater, which kind of like shrunk so he moved from like one uh position to another he eventually ended up with a small theater group that's uh called company the comedy um where he did uh he, he also directed something and that was he, he he was still an actor until uh he then he then retired yeah uh, and my mother, she then started her own practice, her own uh, doctor's office, until she retired. So they actually did fairly well after the wall came down. Don't miss the episode extras such as videos, photos and other content. Just look for the link in the podcast information. The podcast wouldn't exist without the generous support of our financial supporters. And I'd like to thank one and all of them for keeping the podcast on the road the cold war conversation continues in our facebook discussion group just search for cold war conversations in facebook thanks very much for listening and see you next week Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.